in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. You know, the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Amen. Please be seated. After a frantic search for Jesus in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old, you'll recall how his parents finally found him in the temple. And anyone who has children and who has lost your children, or they, you know, you know that feeling of dread. And here they are searching high and low, and they find him in the temple. And you remember what he said? Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? You know, you didn't have to go searching very far. You didn't have to go frantically looking. You knew where I would be. Just come right to the temple. Well, later on, the grown-up Jesus now said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what we're seeing is that from his youth on up, the will of God was Jesus' consummate pleasure. And so it's no surprise that he told his disciples in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, you know how much you enjoy food. Yet it's your birthday and you get to... uh, go out to a restaurant with your family or your friends, and you get to choose your favorite meal. Isn't that wonderful? You, you have, you, we all delight in a good meal. A couple days ago, uh, John Lindquist and myself uh, were in California for a conference, and we were going to go to uh, Lynn Mai's uh, favorite restaurants. It's a little Mexican dive, and uh, they were closing in 10 minutes, so we didn't get to eat my, my favorite food. But uh, anyway, that, that's a disappointment. Uh, we, love, we love a good meal. Well, even if you don't think about food that much, um, you eat because it's part of your daily routine because you draw life from food, don't you? Well, Jesus said that the Father's will was his delight. His delight. His daily necessity. His nourishment, his life was drawn and centered on doing the Father's will. Now, the more we grow in holiness, the more Christ-like we become, the more we will pursue God's will, even above our own. In fact, you remember how Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, whoever does the will of my Father, he is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Those who are related to him, he's saying, are those who are also concerned with doing God's will. And it is that concern, that pursuit that we should all desire. Looking to see that God's world would be reflected in our world. That God's kingdom would be reflected in in my life. And, and, And so the last time we looked at this third petition, we saw from Romans 12 how God wills our sanctification. And in that sanctification, he wills that we flee youthful lusts. He he wills that we pray. He wills that we sacrifice our our bodies 
to be sacrifices to him, that we love one another, bear one another's burdens, that we care for one another. He tells us many things in the scriptures, as we heard from the catechism, on how we can live to please him. But as we discover his will revealed in the scriptures, we need also the power to do them, don't we? Augustine, pray, grant what thou commandest and command what thou will, or what thou desire. God, just don't give me the commands, but you need to give me the power to do those commands. And so we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Of course, there's many things in our lives that are uh, that where God's will is unknown to us. Should I take this job or should I wait for another job? Uh, should I marry this person or should I wait or maybe marry that person? Should I move there or stay here? God's will can be hidden to us. And when we pray this prayer, uh, we're praying that God grant us the wisdom to discern what we ought to do, right? So often talks about God's will evolves into discussions about God's decrees. Now, what is God's decree? You know the catechism, you have the answer. The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. But many of his decrees are part of what we call his secret will. Again, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things that God has that are secret to him. He doesn't reveal it to his creatures here on earth. Maybe not even to his creatures in heaven. There are secret things that belong to him, and he doesn't have to share them, and he doesn't need to share them. And so when I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, we're not really asking God to know what that secret will is, necessarily. We may not know why God does this or why God does that. But we could still pray this prayer knowing that God will accomplish perfectly on earth what he has willed in heaven. Uh, again, I don't know, I don't have to know what God has planned. When I was 20 years old, I had a friend, a couple of friends, um, Robert and Beverly. They were the same age. I, he was 20. She was 18. They were married. She wasn't doing well. I suggested she go to the doctors. And they never released her. She was in the hospital for two weeks and died two weeks after she arrived into it with uh, leukemia. 18-year-old girl, newly wedded. Why, God? A couple of years ago, myself, I, I, I went to a, my dermatologist, regular routine. There was a spot that looked uh, kind of suspicious. Took the biopsy. Then they phoned me in. When, the, when a doctor, after taking a biopsy, when the doctor phones you to say, uh, we'd like to see you come in the office, you know it's going to be something a little bit more serious. And so I go in, and, and sure enough, this is, this is squamish cell. And uh, 
we like to do surgery. So they did the surgery, and after the surgery, the surgeon told me, um, this is serious. I had to go all the way down to the bone, and it looks like it may have metastasized. And so I, he sent me to an oncologist, and one thing led to another, and had to spend a whole month um, with radiation. And even then, the oncologist said, it looks like it metastasized it to your left eye, and uh, you may have to lose your eye. If I lose my left eye, I'm blind. Lord, why? I don't know. But, but I learned in those kind of situations to trust God. To acknowledge that whatever he does, he does well. And it will always end up being for good. It will always result in God being glorified. And so this petition brings me to confess that although God hasn't necessarily revealed why this trial, why that difficulty, why any of this has entered into my life, I can rest in his wisdom, I can rest in his goodness, in his omniscience and omnipotence, and I can know that he has good purposes even for difficult things. Even though I don't know why I have to suffer, why I'm going through this trial and that thing, or why the government is like this, or why uh, you know, I, I petition him for his will to be done. And I know that God hates sin and that he will ultimately destroy it. I, I know as I lift up this petition that he still uses sin and evil for his good purposes and that somehow he will even sanctify me because of these things. And as I say this, I, I find it interesting that man with his pygmy intellect and his little ability tries to take God to task concerning God's decrees. You, you, you've heard this from, from unbelievers or perhaps even from some believers. If God is so great, if God is so wonderful, if God is so wise and powerful and good and loving as you say he is, why is there evil in the world? And those who ask that kind of question think they have greater morals than God. They think they're better than God. Well, how stupid and how ridiculous. In this petition, we're not coming necessary to learn why God allows floods or tornadoes, why murder, illnesses, or this or that problem. No, the secret things of the Lord belong to the Lord our God. In this third petition, I am learning through, as I pray this petition, I'm learning to humble myself before God. Learning to acknowledge that he is sovereign over everything. I'm learning, as I pray this petition, to be content, trusting that he is, in fact, working everything out according to the counsel of his will for his own glory. Lord, Make me patient when I pray your kingdom or your will be done. These first three petitions are actually connected, you know. If I am supremely interested for God to manifest his glory and the glory of his name, if I'm interested that, that his glory be demonstrated in the, king, in the coming of his kingdom, then in my struggles I can know that his decrees will certainly be worked out in such a way that he will receive the maximum amount of glory. I will be blessed. Others will be blessed. We all become happy at the last day. And so, if there's ever a conflict with my will and God's, if there's ever a time when I think it's good for me to question God's wisdom and his goodness, 
determining the, the affairs of my life. If there's ever a time when I think I know better than God and what ought to be done, this petition reminds me as I pray it, he's God and I'm not. If you want to exalt the human will, Jesus reminds us in this petition that, in fact, God is sovereign and your will, my will, must give way to his. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he, he learned that lesson, didn't he? King of a vast empire. The hanging gardens of, of uh, Babylon. And but Nebuchadnezzar was forced to confess all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hands or say to him, what have you done? Each time we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are agreeing with Nebuchadnezzar's confession. But, Deuteronomy 29, 29 also says the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so God's will has, there's, there's a secret element to God's will, but there's also a revealed will, a perceptive will of God. It's been given to us in the scriptures. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, again, very helpfully asked, what do the scriptures principally teach? And we just read, scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of him. And so when we pray, your will be done as it is in heaven, it stands to reason. We're wanting God to give us a greater understanding of his word, aren't we? John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And in that verse, John is telling us that our victory over evil is, is rather dependent on the word of God abiding in us. Now, unfortunately, because of abiding or indwelling sin, we have an aversion to scriptures. If we're honest, we do, don't we? And that's why John said in verse 15 of that chapter, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so this third petition, as we're looking at now the revealed will of God, this third petition is asking God to help us or to cause us to be, or to have that natural inclination of averting from his word to be overcome. We're asking God that we might fully agree with Psalm 119. You recall how verse 103 or 105 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a, a lamp to my feet, to the light to my path. The knowledge of God's word is found in the scriptures. And it's the light that gives us uh, direction in the path of life. You want to know God's will, then as we heard from the catechism and in other places in scripture, you want to know God's will, study the Bible. Now we know that we all should be personally studying the Bible, meditating on it, memorizing its verses, uh, using the scriptures to correct our thinking, using the scriptures to encourage and exhort to one another. 
We, we take the scriptures as Jesus did to defeat Satan, to overcome temptations. But often we fail to do this because we think, and if we're honest, we think there are uh, things that are ostensibly more interesting to read. We're infected with worldliness. That's what John was bringing out in his epistle. We're infected with busyness and the cares of the world that often choke out the seed of the word that has been planted in our hearts. In fact, I've heard some people say what I think some of us might secretly believe, that the Bible is boring. <laughs> the Bible is boring. The problem isn't the Bible, you know. The problem is that we are dull, we're boring, we're lazy, and we're ignorant. Not the word. This petition shows us that we need to pray that God would overcome these things in our lives. That he would give us, in fact, a greater love and appreciation for the word that contains his will. Saying your will be done is to pray, Lord, I want to take your word more seriously in my life. So that by studying it, by reading it, by, by hearing it, I might grow in my knowledge of you. That I might do your will. I think you know this. The more we delight in the Bible, the more we'll learn who Jesus is. The more we'll learn about the things that he delights in, what he wants us to believe and do. And so with this, again, the shorter catechism, this time uh, question answers 89, asks, how is the word made effectual to salvation? That's a very good question. How is the word made effectual to salvation? And the answer from the catechism, the spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Yes, it's the reading, but it's especially the preaching of the word. That the Holy Spirit uses to convert our souls. Romans 1 verse 16 reminds us how the gospel, the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. This is not just a, 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 a book. There's power. This is God's word. The very God who spoke words and the whole universe came into being is the same God who spoke these words. This has power. It changes lives. Do you not believe that? So when we pray, your will be done, we're praying for the preaching of the word. That it would be done with boldness. That it would be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That the word would go forth clearly and effectually. That sinners would be converted. That saints would be made willing to submit to Christ, who is our hope of glory. Uh, if, you want to go in, if you want to grow in grace, if you want to grow in the knowledge of God, if you want to come to know more and more who God is, what he has done for you, what he has promised you, then lift up to your father this petition. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a frustrating thing as a pastor. I think every minister feels it to some degree. But people will come to the, to the office for counseling. And you start talking with them. And they, there's a problem there for sure that needs to be resolved. But you don't see them at church. 
I was reading this afternoon an autobiography of William Stills. William Stills was a pastor of a church in Aberdeen, Church of Scotland pastor. He, he ministered in this church for over 50 years. He was like 84, 85 when he finally retired. He was a bachelor, so he could do that. But, but he, he wrote in that. He said, the more I opened up the word, the more I preached, the less people came to me for counseling. That's true. Again, if you want to grow in grace, you come to where that grace is, is offered to you, and it's offered to you in the reading of the word, but particularly and especially in the preaching of the word. So pray for your pastor. I'm going to tell you something. Your pastors relish your prayers. They long for your prayers. Pray for those who labor in the word, that they might have, a, number one, a better understanding of the word. That they would grow in their ability to clearly expound the word, and that they might grow in wisdom and how to apply the word to you. Pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so that the word of God may run with great power and effect in all our lives, so that you would know who he is, what he's promised you, and that you would obey him and grow in holiness. That's what we want, isn't it? And so pray in this third petition is to pray that, as we learned, that it would be to submit to God's love and character. Secondly, it's to pray for growth in the knowledge of the scriptures. But lastly, it's to pray for a loving submission to God's sovereignty. For a loving submission, not just to submit to God's sovereignty, but to do so lovingly and willingly. You know, many people in history have resigned themselves to the power of God, but they do it out of a bitter and, and resentful attitude. How many of you perhaps have heard the name Flavius Claudius Julianus? You, you might have known him more better uh, as his other name, Julian the Apostate. <laughs> the Apostate. You know, Julian was uh, the nephew of Constantine. Constantine, you'll recall, was the first Roman emperor to convert to, to Christianity. And, and Julian grew up as a Christian. But before he became emperor in 355, he rejected Christianity. He embraced Neoplatonism. And, and he tried to cleanse the Roman Empire of all things Christian. Well, in 363, Julian's army faced the Sassanids. And, and he was wounded by a spear that pierced his liver and his intestines. And, and he didn't die immediately. He, he lay there and, and dying. But tradition says that his final words on earth were, You have conquered, Galilean. You have conquered. Julian fought against Christ. He tried to eradicate Christianity. But as all men who fight against the almighty God, they, they lose. And at the end, he, he accepted defeat from the unvanquished conquer. But, but the kind of resignation that he gave was, was a mere acceptance of the inevitable. There, there was no love in it. There was no real submission to it. It's just a mere acceptance that I lost. That's not what this prayer is calling for. 
Those who come under the yoke of Christ learn that doing God's will is the most delightful thing of all. And all who do God's will with such delight are, are becoming like the angels of heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the angels are, are waiting for God to speak. As soon as God says, do this, boom, they're gone. They're doing it. Oh, to have that kind of submission and delight in doing God's will. But when we pray this petition, we're praying that God, in fact, will give us that. That he'll open our eyes to see what is, in fact, the joy of heaven. What is the delight of, of obedience. Others, on the other hand, become very aware of God's sovereignty. And they say, well, you know, if, if God is going to do what God will do, uh, he will do it. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to, I don't have to pray. His will, his decrees will always be. I remember one time I was in Scotland and I was on the streets uh, passing out tracts and witnessing. A pastor came out of the church and he told me that I was wrong for doing this. And he said to me, uh, young man, if God is going to save someone, he will do it without your help. You don't need to be out here. And I thought, wow, well, how big is your church? He said, about 10. I said, well, okay. Don't you think that uh, praying... And, and inviting people in? No, no, we can't. That's presumptuous. We don't know who God has willed to be saved. Well, no, we don't. That's why we preach. <laughs> now, there's a certain, perhaps, odd logic to hyper-Calvinism, but Jesus here in Matthew, tell, he tells us to pray. And we, turn, we are to pray in light of God's sovereignty. I know that the mystery of prayer is great, isn't it? Why does the creator of all things, he created all the stars, all the things that are, and he did it without any help from anyone. He didn't do it without anyone's blueprint or anyone's architectural plans. He did it, and he did it well. Why does the creator of all things use our prayers to accomplish his will on earth? I don't know. It's a mystery. But Paul most certainly believed in the sovereignty of God. He, he, he taught about God's supreme will in places like Romans 9 through 11, Ephesians 1, that God, that God has chosen in his decrees to save this person and not that person. Why? Don't know. It's his secret will why he chooses me, a terrible sinner that I am. There are a lot of people that are in the world that are a lot better than me, but God has chosen me. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I love it. <laughs> and Paul understood this, and he taught about God's sovereignty. But when Paul was in prison, he wrote to the Philippians, and he said this. He says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that I will leave prison through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul asked them to pray because he believed that their prayers would bring about his deliverance. That's an amazing thing. He stirs them up to pray because he trusted God's promise to Christ. Remember, Christ said, I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father, he may give to you. It's wrong to fall into a fatalistic determination. We should seek the face of the living God who promises that if we seek his kingdom, 
And if we pray for his will be done, he will answer it so that we will bear great fruit. And beloved, this means that we should never grow cold in prayer. We should persevere in it, believing that God will always answer our prayers in due time. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Luke prefaces Jesus' teaching on the importunate widow by writing, he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, you know that parable that Jesus taught from Luke 18. There was this widow who wanted justice. She wanted protection. But the wicked judge ignored her. And so she hounded him, crying out day and loud, or day and night, louder and louder, till he finally gave in and gave her what she wanted. And Jesus says that we ought to pray because God is not like that unjust judge. He does answer our cries. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a book, I'm closing with this, but there's a book that uh, David Wells wrote called Prayer, Rebelling Against the uh, Status Quo. And David Wells writes this. He said, what then is the nature of petitionary prayer? It is, in essence, rebellion. Rebellion against the world in its fullness, fallenness. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. It is, in this, its negative aspect, the refusal of every agenda, every uh, scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the norm as originally established by God. Now, you go back to Genesis 1, and you will hear over and over again, day after day after his creations, this is good, it is good, it is good. God created creation good. But then, you know, sin entered in and, and turned everything upside down. But the kingdom of God comes to us and it turns everything right. But now, as those who are in this kingdom of heaven, as we look at the world, are you not grieved? Are you not grieved to see the world as it is? Are you not grieved to see men and women, boys and girls, enslaved to sin, groping in darkness, ignorant of even basic things? Aren't you grieved by all this? Should we not then pray that God would step in and change things? Prayer expresses the great hope of Isaiah the prophet who wrote in Isaiah 64, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence, make your name known to your adversaries, do awesome things which we did not expect. You see, according to Wells, prayer is not accepting things as they are. It is praying God to do wonders. Every revival began only because people were grieved over the situation of the church's weakness, of the church's compromise, of its ineffectiveness. Grieved over how sin is prevailing. And God's people said, enough is enough. God, do something. <laughs> Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Beloved, James writes and he rebukes us. You do not have because you do not ask. But then he says in chapter 5, verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, we're not... 
We're not righteous in ourselves. We're dressed with Christ's righteousness. But it is a perfect righteousness. And we have access to the throne of grace. And your prayer is effective. And you only don't have because you're not asking. Do you believe that? Or do you believe the word of God to be, eh? If God wasn't absolutely sovereign, I couldn't pray the petition. But because God is sovereign, and he's sovereign over every little thing, I can pray with confidence, knowing that he is both able and even willing. We pray, we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we are very frequently faced with sorrows and problems and troubles and injustices. We pray because we've been hurt by gossip, people's dishonesty, misunderstanding, lack of love. And Jesus exhorts us to pray this petition because it is the Father's will that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him has eternal life. And that means despite all the troubles, all the hurts, and all the difficulties that we endure, eternal life is welling up in you to cause you to prevail, to have victory, and to rejoice. Praying this petition signifies that in the world we will continue to have struggles with sin and imperfections. Again, this petition doesn't mean that you'll ever escape hardships or troubles or persecutions, but it does mean that God will grant to you peace and the joy of heaven as you submit to his good pleasures and as you pray according to his will. Guess what? Things change. We pray this petition because we know that we struggle and we fail. But Christ is sinless and he is strong to deliver. And because of his abundant grace working in our hearts, we, can we may not render him now a perfect obedience, but we can give him a willing obedience. And so we most assuredly will suffer. But because of God's grace, as we pray this petition, we bow knowing that God is working good. And he's preparing us for all eternity, isn't he? That's what it means to pray this petition. So let's do so in faith. Let's do so in hope. Let's do so in love. Love for God. Love for his kingdom. Love for one another. Love for this world. God's will be done. On earth, even as it's perfectly being done in heaven right now. Let's pray now. Lord, we come now to you with this petition, that your will be done. In, in all its ways, may your will be done. Your perfect will, that secret will, that only knew, you know about, Lord, we, we bow to that, but we ask, O oh Lord, that it would have its good effect in our lives, that we would be sanctified. Those things that you have revealed in your word, O oh Lord, we come to you asking that we would be empowered to do those things. And that, Lord, we would pray that, that your kingdom come, with great power, as your will be done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.